Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Uh, welcome to Q. Today, my conversation with Jeff Tweedy from the band Wilco. Wilco are a band from Chicago. I'm a big fan of Wilco. I've been for a long time. And people who like them tend to like them a lot, and they tend to tell you a lot about how much they like them. If you're not one of those people that like Wilco a lot, I'll give you the Coles Notes. Wilco started out of the ashes of a really important alternative country band called Uncle Tupelo. They started out making music that sounded a little bit more like folk and country music. They go on to make really kind of experimental pop music. And along the way, over the past 30-odd years, have released a run of albums that people call generation-defining. I'll play you one of their most beautiful songs here now. Don't cry You can rely on me, honey You can come by anytime you want I'll be around I'll be honest with you, songs like that, um, That's Jesus, Etc., off Wilco's album, Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot, they have a way of making you feel a lot of um, emotions. But I, I, if you ask me what the song's about, I'd never really be able to tell you. Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot is one of those albums that gets put on lists of, like, greatest albums of all time. And like a good butcher, Wilco typically makes all their stuff in-house. They have a really defined idea of the band as the leader of the band. Jeff Tweedy is seen as, like, this modern-day genius to how they redefine their sound over and over again, the weird directions he takes his band into. And with all that established, on Wilco's latest album, Cousin, they did something different. They went outside their circle and they enlisted a producer. And they didn't just, like, I don't know, go on LinkedIn. They sought out the Welsh singer-songwriter Kate LeBon, and they made something that sounds like this. You're not the kind of city street anyone cross you're the kind of spinning star that only gets you lost that's a little bit of sunlight ends off of wilco's new album cousin an album that people who are into wilco say is their best album in decades so we got jeff tweedy on zoom from his tour bus in kansas city We talked a little bit about how they wanted to approach this record, how aware they were of having a woman produce their record, like female music producers are not well represented in the music industry, his thoughts on songwriters and singers singing about large social issues and how he's sometimes kind of uncomfortable with that. But I started out by asking him why this record had a bit of a false start after the pandemic. Here's what Jeff Tweedy told me. A lot of these songs were started uh, a little bit before the pandemic and then when we got back together in the studio for the first time after the pandemic, uh, it just didn't feel, I don't know, there was something about the material that uh, we, I don't know, we wanted to do something that sounded more 
finished right away. <laughs> I think there was some sort of immediacy to it. And so we kept gravitating towards more of the country and folk songs that I had been writing during the pandemic. And we made that uh, made a record, double record, Pearl Country out of those and um, decided to take our time a little bit more with uh, with the cousin material. Why, why was when did the decision come to bring to bring Kate on? Um, I don't know, about a year ago, maybe. Uh, I'd gotten to be friends with Kate over the years uh, since she played at our festival uh, that we have every other year, uh, Solid Sound. Uh, just seemed to hit it off. And um, Kate has used the studio in Chicago for rehearsals and things like that over the years seen seen each other periodically on the road but we've kept in touch and then at at, at some point um she recorded a, a wilco cover using our studio uh, for a, a compilation of wilco covers what song for, did she do um, uncut she did company in my back for uncut magazine i just soft skin your sorrow is sunshine listen to my eyes to my eyes Her version was so exciting and fresh, and she basically had used all of our ingredients, you know. Um, and that's the first time I think I really uh, thought to myself, uh, that would be really fun to see how her sensibility mixes with ours and, and uh, just to kind of let go of the reins a little bit and let her uh, help shape something and um i asked her kind of kind of blindsided her just like just blurted it out one time talking to her and and she accepted right away so um it wasn't like we went looking for an outside producer we just uh you know just thought of kate <laughs> can you give me an example of something she did maybe something she did to push you guys a little bit or take you out of your comfort zones or just an example of something that she did that you felt oh there's a different presence here in the studio um gosh it's hard to pinpoint one thing i mean uh you don't bring kate Levon in uh unless you're gonna let kate Levon be like kate Levon. so we you know uh i really enjoyed being uh just trying to make her happy you know and like make uh it's not like we've signed either one of us signed off on anything or the whole band didn't sign off on anything that we didn't love but um but um for the most part, I was I, I loved having that sensibility around, and the the producer sitting in the room is one of the first audience members. You know, it's like you have this. Um, I think it always changes the sound of something when even when you're just listening to a record with somebody, depending on who that person is and what their level of interest and and and, um, and uh, intensity is listening can change a record you ever try and listen to a record with somebody you know isn't listening uh you know and it changes it you know but um the same thing happens in the in the opposite direction somebody that's really you know imaginative and has a real passion for music can make something sound better sitting uh across from them you know i think there's meaning there and i, I don't want to put this on kate but i think there's meaning in talking to well, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of, um, I'm friends with some women producers in Toronto. And one of the things they often say to me is that there's, 
you know, A, they don't get a lot of work or they only get hired by other women. Like it's it's hard for them to get jobs where largely male groups or male artists will want to will want to work with them. Like how conscious of a decision not to hire Kate, but like was that on your mind at all when you were working with her? Um, uh, I, I do think it's it, it it played a part in the in the decision. The thought was um, that that doesn't happen a whole lot. I haven't seen it happen a whole lot, especially for a, a, a band that's been around for a long time. A rock band tends to stay within this uh, sort of male dominated world, and um, uh, Kate's one of my favorite artists. And and Aside from that, I think most of my favorite artists in the last 10 years or so have been women. I think there's a, there's a, uh, uh, I don't know. I just tend to gravitate towards uh, that energy. And, and um, so it was conscious, but, you know, it wasn't like uh, a gimmick or something. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to avoid. Like, I'm trying to avoid, Mm -hmm. like, making this sound like Wilco hired a woman to produce, produce their record. Yeah. Trying to make it more sound to me. Like there are a lot of really great women producers out there. Yeah. I don't think we deserve a pat on the back. I think it just should happen. It should happen more often. You know, it's just something that maybe more people should consider. Well, it's, it's a, it's a, I I love that. What your studio manager called it? Like Wilco with a new lighting director. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah. Mark, Mark, coin that like explanation it's pretty fitting yeah um i thought we could listen to one of the tracks off the record and and talk a little bit about it sure From the new Wilco album, Cousin, that's a song called Infinite Surprise. Uh, Jeff, tell me a little bit about that song. Well, I think that that's one of the songs that it was kind of the uh, cornerstone of the record for a long time, to me, in my, my opinion. You know, what, one of the first things I did with Kate is send her uh, a file of 40 songs and kind of just out of curiosity, I thought the first place to start would be to see if she wanted to pick the 10 or 14 songs, 10 to 15 songs that we would work on. Um, and, and it was really very similar with the songs that she picked to what the original conception of the record was. And the original conception of the record, the working title was Infinite Surprise. So it ended up being, um, uh, you know, a slightly different group of songs than originally intended, but this song uh, stayed constant through the through all of the different uh, versions that I had in my head, at least. We'll be right back. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. 
and McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The next track on the record is one that really stuck out to me. I want to I play a little bit of that. Turn on the radio This is what they said No more, no more, no more than ten dead It's ten dead off the new Wilco album, Cousin. I don't typically do this, but I, I wanted to just at least say what it made me think about was sort of the language maybe around, you know, mass shootings that happen in the in the US and sort of the desense how desensitized our language can be around that. We you know, we have a school shooting no no more than ten dead. Am I am I onto something there? Yeah, I mean, uh there's an insane an insane uh sort of collective acceptance of something that's intolerable. Um uh, and there's a consensus that it's an unsolvable problem which is maddening because it's so clearly solvable <laughs> you know it's such a um uh it's a it's just it's a shameful thing for a society to do uh and, and not not try harder to fix uh but um writing songs about something like that um I think the tendency is uh, one of the things I guess I would want to want to avoid is the tendency tendency to moralize and put yourself above, uh, um, I don't know, responsibility or to, I don't know. I feel a lot of times like songwriters are, you know, have this idea that the world's waiting for them to weigh in on something or there's a little bit of a, solipsistic thing like oh i'm going to be the one that fixes this and points to the truth or something like that i think the truth of it is uh much more uh uh hard to express and i was that song is my effort to express the confusing malaise and detachment and reality of a society that encourages a dissociative state in relationship to something so horrific. That the, that the radio, like you say in the song, that the radio would say on, only 10 dead is sort of detached. No more, than, no more than 10 dead. Yeah, they said no more, no more, no more than 10 dead. You know, um, I actually heard someone say that on, it wasn't on the radio, it was on the TV. You know, it was like announcing yet another school shooting and uh, the the newscaster said, "No more than ten dead," um, as if that's a sentence that could ever be uttered with with like the sense of relief, or almost to on, be honest, there was almost a sense of disappointment. You know that it wasn't. You know, oh, this isn't one of the historic ones, or this isn't one that is going to be as newsworthy for as long as some of the more horrific ones. I woke up this morning and I went back to bed. Ten dead, ten dead, how the 
do you write it differently? I know you said like you, you're trying to avoid moralizing or someone coming to you looking for answers, which I which I do really, really appreciate. I mean, Norm MacDonald had that great line. He said that um, someone said the stand-up comedians are the philosophers of our time. And he said, no, philosophers are the philosophers of our time. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. But do, do you approach, do you approach these, writing these songs differently than the other songs? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't gravitate towards writing songs that can be perceived as topical. I don't, I know it's just not something that's always, uh, that's been as interesting to me to write about. Um, so I, you know, like a lot of people, I understand the impulse that something happens, you feel affected by it, that you're almost traumatized by it, but it's really not your trauma. It's the, tra- you know, it's the trauma that we're all witnessing. It's, it's real for you too. Uh, it is traumatizing to witness. Um, but I don't, I'm suspicious of that desire to write a song about it. And, but I could not resist the, the, um, uh, the song came to me, you know, and I, and I, like, I, I don't generally make a practice of turning songs away. Um, um, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just, uh, I don't know, just honoring the basest instinct as a songwriter to exploit something that that I think uh, uh, you should avoid uh, that as being a, a you know like oh good something terrible happened now I have something to write about or like you know like I think a lot of people um, and there's and honestly there's probably a, a healthy reaction too you know there's nothing really that wrong with it I just I. I just cringe a little bit at the at, at the way that a lot of those songs come out. Yeah, I love the way you put that. I love um, this song kind of started coming to me and I was a bit mm-hmm. suspicious of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, so when I usually, what usually happens is if I'm a little bit suspicious of it, I, I try and put myself at least close to the center of the blame, you know, and, and that's not... Um, I don't know. That takes that takes it a little bit away from what I feel like are some of the pitfalls of writing a song like that. That being said, all of that. I mean, I'm happy it's on the record, and I and I, I actually really am very proud of that song. But we don't play it. We don't play it live. We played it once, and it felt like it's not really the kind of song that should be played in in an in a in front of an audience. It's why, almost why like it's, it's it just felt like something that should encounter one consciousness at a time, <laughs> you know, like that, that it's for a record. It's for like the individual um, that's listening. And, and the, I feel like there should be the ability to, to skip ahead and, you know, move on to something else. If the, if you're not in the mood to, to uh, reflect on, on that. I love that idea. I love, I love that. It's, it reminds me of like a radio or a podcast, something like that. It's not meant to be listened to in a big collective room. It's meant to be sort of taken in intimately by, yeah, by oneself. Yeah, it just has a slightly different purpose than, than you know, uh, the even the sad, even I mean, sad songs can be really celebratory in a in a uh, in a communal environment like a rock show, and there's like a con- con- congress, you know, like a con. Uh, congregation gathering to kind of like work through some catharsis together or something like that. There's a lot of 
Well, there's ways that challenging material can be performed in front of an audience in a, um, in a, in a joyful way, yeah, actually. But that song to me, uh, we played it once and it, and it felt, uh, it just felt wrong, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I, I want to play one more, one more um, song. Take a listen to this. And, and meant to be jeff i love that song um oh thank you t- tell me a little bit about it where, where did that song come from good good, good question i mean <laughs> some some deep recess of my brain that that loves abba you know i think <laughs> yeah um that, that had abba in like um just seeped into my dna somewhere i don't know uh it's just a. Uh, it is. I don't think there's any other song in the Wilco catalog quite like that one. It's uh, um, has like a real disco beat and and um, has some very 80s style guitar strumming and and um, I don't know. That's one. Of, that's always the fu- you know like one of the most fun types of songs to tackle in the studio because. Uh, you can go at it with a little bit of detachment, you know, like, well, we'll see if this works, but it doesn't really quite sound like us. And of course, at the end of the day, it, and it does sound like us, I think. Um, I want to go back to something you said before we go. You, you were at the very beginning and, and I'm not going to I'm not going to try to paraphrase you too much. Typically, when I listen to a record by a band I like, I'm able to compare it to a past a past mm-hmm. record. But Wilco have over the years really gotten to a point where I can. When I get when I get a new Wilco record, I I press play with no expectations. I have no idea what it's going to sound like. <laughs> I have no idea if it's going to be a disco record or a country record mm-hmm. or a weird experimental record or like a so you know like I have no expectations. There was something you said earlier, and I can't quite remember what it is, but you said something like you know the way the way the band works is we're trying to dispel expectations or we're just trying to be create a language where we can do whatever you want. The way the way you said it made it sound like that's intentional. That feeling I get is like mission accomplished. That like I really don't know what I'm going to get when I put on a Wilco record. Um, I mean, Wilco I think tries to honor the 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 creative process as an act of discovery, and we want a new song to sing, and I want I want a new song to sing, and and I don't know what it's going to be, and that's thrilling, you know. Um, Let's find it. And I don't mean find it in the universe. I mean, find it in us. I don't like, I'm not mystical about it. I think it's, I think it comes from our, our own interactions, our own vocabulary with each other and my subconscious for lyrics and, you know, all these different elements that, you know, have a pretty infinite amount of permutations and, 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 um, you know, I believe that I believe that there, there's, an infinite number of records you could make that don't have to sound like each other, but probably end up sounding at least somewhat related because, you know, there's some elements at the center of it, like my voice that, that are, are, are 
you know, characteristic, you know, through, through all mm. the records. But, but um, I just, I just, I love that idea. I love the idea that you can make something that wasn't there before and you don't have to honor anything you've done in the past. Well, uh, Jeff, I, I love talking to you anytime I can about art and, and music and all that. And, and I really love the record. Thanks for making the time. Man, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Oh, I can take a joke, but my clothes are all sold. It's too late to be unclear. I'd laugh until I die if it wasn't my life. That's new Wilco and Evicted off their new album, Cousin. Before that, my conversation with Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Jeff, in addition to being a great music writer, is also a great writer about music. He has a new book that's out now. It's called World Within a Song. All right, that's it for this episode of Q. The other conversation we have up today is a rare interview with the Canadian author Anne Michaels. Anne Michaels is a very private author. I don't even know if that's true. I just know that she doesn't like to be asked too many personal details. And you would think that's because she is a very private person. And listen, I understand that. I don't really put up anything about my own personal life on like the internet or, or social media or anything like that. You know, it's, it's nice to have a, a separate separate life when you're in the, in the public eye. But Anne Michaels has a lot to say about her decision to do that. And it's mainly based around she doesn't want people to read her life's details into her work. She wants you to think about your own life when you're reading her work. Go check that out. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.